0: Listener supported, WNYC Studios.
1: The owners of the galleries don't want to analyze the impact they're having in the neighborhood where they are locating. We've been told, oh, we're bringing art to your community. Well, that's very insulting to imply, like we've never had art here in Boyle Heights before. Of course we have.
0: I'm not
2: going anywhere. I mean, I've been here in downtown area for the last 25 years. I'm not gonna go away because somebody tells me to just go, you know, I'm home.
3: I just wish that there was a way where we could have a conversation between what they would like to accomplish and what the resources that we have available to us as gallery owners, but they were very clear on the fact that we just need to leave.
4: Basically a lot of people feel that they're being outcast because you have all these millionaires coming in and they wanted more like a more suave uh, Rodeo Drive kind of thing. It kind of baffles me, to be honest with you, that that's going on.
3: There goes the neighborhood. There goes the neighborhood.
5: There goes the neighborhood.
3: In
0: LA's Mexican-American Boyle Heights neighborhood, you hear mariachis at weddings, family reunions, and quinceañeras. But this is the first time I've heard them perform to celebrate the demise of something. After months of protests, anti-gentrification activists have forced a small nonprofit art space started by people who don't live in Boyle Heights to close. Over the last couple of years, a dozen or so art galleries have opened at Boyle Heights. And the activists hate them. They say the galleries are the advance guard of gentrification. And if the art spaces thrive, other things will follow.
3: You put a gallery with paintings that cost tens of thousands of dollars, and the audience that comes to this place starts looking for other kinds of amenities, right?
0: That's Leonardo Vilches with the neighborhood group Unión de Vecinos.
3: They look for the brewery, for the coffee shop, for the place to hang out. All of those things increase the cost and the value of the local neighborhood and in turn change how much it costs to live around here.
0: His message to gallery owners? Whether you know it or not, you're a kind of cancer in Boyle Heights.
3: And what you need to do with cancer is you not know, to do surgery in it, right? You need to start killing the cells that are creating the cancer. So to say okay, I'm a cancer cell, but I want to be good, doesn't change the fact that you're a cancer cell. You need to move out.
0: I'm Saul Gonzalez, and this is There Goes the Neighborhood, L.A. In their fight to kick the galleries out of Boyle Heights, the anti-gentrifiers have held marches, gallery doors have been tagged with the words F. White Art, and posters plastered around the neighborhood have even depicted a human skull in the Target. and the words, Boyle Heights is not safe for hipster trash. Vilches makes no apologies for the tactics. He says Boyle Heights has too often been treated like a doormat by outsiders.
3: We have a history in this neighborhood of saying yes, but to the developers. Yes, but to the politicians. When we started saying no is when they started listening.
0: Opponents of the Boyle Heights Gallery say they aren't anti-art. After all, the neighborhood and the rest of East L.A. have a long creative history, from street murals to the music of Los Lobos. But the protesters say in a neighborhood where more than a third of residents live below the poverty line, there are more pressing
3: needs than galleries. A laundromat, a homeless shelter affordable housing for people who make less than $20,000 a year, maybe yes, some parks and some gardens, maybe a small art school for children, but not the stuff that we're having right now. So the ideal is a process of development that is driven and accountable to the local residents.
0: The conflict over the galleries in Boyle Heights highlights the complicated role artists and other creative types play in gentrification. Do they cause it, are they victims of it, or is it a bit of both? These questions are most intense right now in the neighborhood immediately to the west of Boyle Heights and across the L.A. River.
6: While we're standing in the middle of the Arts District, it's an old light industrial area attached to downtown Los Angeles.
0: That's Carolina Miranda. She writes about arts and culture for the L.A. Times. In the 1970s, this street where we are and those around it were your classic post-industrial landscape. Derelict factories, empty warehouses, and buildings caked in soot and grime. And all that made it perfect for the arts crowd.
6: It was lots of real estate for cheap. An artist could rent an entire floor of a warehouse, maybe 10,000 square feet, subdivide it, share it with other artists. They could all have studio space because I think that's part of the quest. It's always the studio space. I need a place where I can live and I need a place where I can make work.
0: And by the 1980s, a thriving, if under-the-radar, art community was well-established here. The artists turned empty factories into some of L.A.'s original live workspaces. They staged exhibitions and art happenings on warehouse loading docks. And they partied in clubs like Al's Bar and Atomic Cafe, both cradles of L.A.'s punk scene. It's around this time when painter Lisa Adams moved into the Arts District, although it didn't formally get the name from the city until years later.
2: I had a 1,600-square-foot space. I had it by myself because I could. It was $625 a month, including all utilities. And I actually portioned part of it off that I rented for $200 a month. So basically I had... Uh, a a $425-a-month rent.
0: But there were drawbacks. A single bathroom down the hall for five tenants, no heat and air conditioning, and living there was illegal because the building wasn't up to residential fire and safety codes. But the artists had no problems with any of that.
2: No one had any judgments about, gosh, why are we living here? This is such a dump. The landlord is awful. And when I say awful... He actually wasn't awful. He just left us alone. If the plumbing broke, we had to fix the plumbing, right? But he never raised the rent, and he never hassled us about anything. So it was comfortable neglect. Yeah, comfortable neglect. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. And we didn't mind. And, you know, we were cool with it. We were okay.
0: About 10 years back, though, the Arts District began really changing. City Hall revised zoning codes to encourage investment in the neighborhood, and developers began buying up properties. Trendy businesses opened, a coffee house here, a boutique clothing store there. In 2008, actor Nicholas Cage moved into the neighborhood. He rented a 4,000-square-foot loft apartment in a building that used to be the L.A. offices of Nabisco, the cookie makers. Urbanist Richard Florida studies gentrification in cities across the country. Here's how he describes what happened in L.A.'s arts district. Well, when we talk about downtown L.A. and these particular neighborhoods, you know, I talked to one of the credit card companies. I never could get the data, but they had data which showed the pace of gentrification in many cities because they have transactions. And they said, what was happening in these neighborhoods of Los Angeles defied anything they had seen before. In other words, when this happened in New York, it happened over such and many years. When this happened in San Francisco and in Los Angeles, it was like this on steroids. And what about the artists in the arts district while this was all happening? Like Lisa, they started hearing from their landlords that the days of dirt-cheap rent and comfortable neglect were over.
2: And then he sold the building, and then we were all uh, evicted. We had 30 days.
0: Now, the Arts District is some of the most prized real estate in Los Angeles. Old buildings are being remodeled and turned into upscale apartments and businesses. New construction is everywhere, and rents are soaring. Carolina Miranda says the changes are mind-boggling from how she remembers the Arts District in the
6: 90s. Sometimes I drive through the Arts District and downtown in general, and I can't believe what I'm seeing. It's zero to 60 in terms of the changes that have happened here.
0: As investors buy buildings and raise rents, a lot of the artists in the arts district have either been evicted or chosen to leave. Other artists are just trying to hang on and turning to increasingly desperate measures to keep their studios and their homes.
1: Art is inherently political, and we are standing up and saying, no, you can't push us around so that you can have $2,000 more a month to pay for your Bentley.
0: That's artist Michael Parker, He's lived in a 5,000-square-foot studio space in the heart of the Arts District since 2001. Looking around, it's kind of a shabby-chic wonderland, with every nook and cranny of the place stuffed with canvases, sculptures, and art supplies. But Michael says his landlord wants him gone, so he can build a high-rise mega-development of upscale apartments and stores. So to fight both his own eviction and the looming eviction of other artists a couple of streets over, Michael's taking action. He and some of his neighbors are hanging banners outside his loft to protest the evictions.
1: Zip ties, we found them. Okay, so we're gonna start hanging the banner for the 800 traction support of their artist's evictions. What's the exact language for the artist eviction sign? Nancy, can you say what it says? Stop Arts District eviction. We're about to hang that sign on the fence directly facing the almoha uh, in support.
0: Immediately below Michael's loft, his landlord is staging a swanky fashion show. And Michael wants to make sure that the landlord and his guests see and hear the angry artists.
1: Tonight, 40 artists who have lived in the Arts District are coming together to say, we're not leaving. If you want to call this place the Arts District, then you need to make it so that we can stay in the Arts District. And if we can't stay in the Arts District, then you need to change the name from the Arts District, Mayor Garcetti, City Council Jose Wezar. You need to change the name of the Arts District to the Luxury District or to the Douchebag River District or to the Silicon Lofts. Let's call it the Silicon Lofts. If you want to call it that, then fine. Give me some rent control. I want to stay. I want my friends to stay.
0: Michael also worries about who he might hurt if he gets evicted and is forced to look for another home.
1: If I get pushed out of the arts district as an artist, a 16-year tenant in the arts district, and I get pushed out of the arts district with the, the name of the neighborhood named after me, then I'm gonna go gentrify somebody else and push somebody else out. That doesn't make me feel good. Is that the choice? I mean, is That's that has the choice, it, that that's the choice. You leave here,
0: you go somewhere else. Yeah, and you,
1: yeah. And you bring gentrification. And then there. I bring gentrification. So I'm in a catch-22.
0: One neighborhood Michael has reluctantly considered moving to Boyle Heights. Up next, artists wrestle with their role as collaborators in gentrification. And when does street art become advertising for luxury living? even as they try to survive gentrification. A lot of artists are wondering if they helped create the conditions for these changes. Did their very presence here put the neighborhood on developers' radars?
2: This is one of the larger spaces at the colony, and we share it. And we share the bathroom and the kitchen together. And then, of course, this is my workspace. Artist
0: Lisa Adams has thought it. long and hard about this connection between creatives and how a neighborhood changes. And her conclusion actually isn't that different from the anti-art gallery activist you heard in Boyle Heights
2: and It always happens that the developers follow the artists. It's not uncommon. Artists are brave. You know, they are on the front line and they're willing to put up with things that other populations won't. So because you go into an area, you do have to fix it up a little bit and you do have to figure out ways to navigate it. And so if you can do it and you've made a little progress in that area, then it becomes very attractive to a developer because they see it can be done. Except they can do it a lot better because they have a lot of money to pour into it.
0: So you're kind of like the canaries in the coal mine.
2: That's right. I mean, you are a kind of forerunner to what, what is to come. And it's almost guaranteed every single time I've seen it, that's what happens.
0: Carolina Miranda says artists have a complicated relationship with gentrification. And really more broadly, with wealth and status.
6: A lot of artists tend to be educated. They tend to have advanced degrees. Galleries in order to sell often want to bring in more moneyed patrons into a neighborhood. Once you have a neighborhood that's kind of popular, well, those patrons maybe want a place to get some, you know, their flat white and their, you know, whole grain organic sandwich. <laughs> so, so it's definitely part of the cycle. Whether it's the cause of the cycle, I think, is still being debated by a lot of urbanists.
0: I guess one advantage for the developers is that kind of the presence of artists in a place kind of takes care of some of your marketing. Like, you don't have to convince people it's cool. It's organically cool because the artists are already there, living there, doing their thing, right?
6: I think the artists certainly do part of making a place cool. But that place is also subject to a whole confluence of other factors. Like... There could be a bunch of artists living in lofts in San Bernardino and nobody is following them to San Bernardino. What's happening with the Arts District is you have this whole redevelopment of downtown happening. And therefore, you have the proximity to a place where there's already a lot of development going. And so then what do you have? You have this light industrial real estate that makes really great lofts, that makes really great boutiques, that makes really great restaurants. And, oh, guess what? We can transform it and get more bang for our square foot. So I think it, it requires that, yes, the artist can make a place cool, but there are plenty of artists living in all corners of Los Angeles that are not cool.
0: One person who was attracted to the arts district's cool is Tracy Gray. She moved here with her husband back in 2005 and works at a nearby green tech business incubator.
5: We were one of the pioneers of buying lofts in the Arts District.
0: Tracy loves the Arts District's old, bohemian vibe wedded to all the new amenities. But she worries the neighborhood's at a tipping point.
5: You know, where's that middle ground between gentrification and improving a neighborhood? I don't know if I have an answer to that. There's there's things coming in here I don't like. Like, there's a big development that looks like it's going to be like the Grove, which I do not like. Um, I like when there's businesses here, but it's local businesses that can thrive. But when you start getting too popular, then you get these national brands, and then the rents go up. And so just, you're kind
0: of uh, pining for the old days <laughs> a Somewhere
5: bit. In between, right. you know, just a little bit. Because, I mean, I'm fortunate that what I have here, and I'm grateful what I have here. But, you know, the brand is the Arts District. It's a little different, but it starts looking like Westwood or Pasadena. Then where's the brand, and why are people going to come here?
0: that brand she's talking about? Developers know how attractive that is to the well-heeled creative class types, whether real or wannabe. It's kind of the message in this promotional video for proposed residential development in the neighborhood. You are a rarity, never compromising or conforming. You aren't nine to five. You're 24-7, constantly blurring the lines of live, work, and play, Discover yourself at the Arts District Center. And it's not just sales videos. KCRW's Avishai Artsy has been looking into some of the other forms that the marketing of artists and the artist's lifestyle take. Hi, Avishai.
4: Hey, Saul. You know those angel wings you see painted on walls around L.A.? I do. I see them everywhere. Well, they're made by a woman named Colette Miller. Anyway, she started, like, lots of street artists, painting without permission— But now she's getting paid to put up those wings. The developer of the former Macy's Plaza Shopping Center, now called The Block, it's a mixed-use center, hired a bunch of local street artists to create murals, including the Angel Wings artist and um, Wordsmith, the guy who stencils a typewriter and we paste a message in a typewritten font on the building. I thought that was just artists doing their own things. Sometimes it is, but in gentrifying neighborhoods, what looks like art can sometimes really be marketing. And the developers are taking it even further, not only hiring artists for a day, some developers are now actually paying them to live in a building to give it something special.
0: Where's this happening?
4: Well, for example, there's a property downtown called Olive DTLA. It's a nondescript gray concrete apartment building at Olive and Pico. It's in the South Park neighborhood, just west of the Arts District. The developers called the Wolf Company, they held a competition for an artist to win free rent for six months in exchange for making art in the building. Amber Huntley-Ruiz is the marketing director, and she says having an artist live in the building helps it stand out from all the other new high-rise luxury apartments downtown.
5: At some point, all of them are beautiful and
0: highly amenitized, and they have great quartz countertops and great cabinets and all that jazz. But what is it that makes a building special? And it's something that we can't physically build. It's, you know, it's a authenticity and a personality that we have to kind of work to give the building. So, Avishai, let's pause here. She's talking about working to give the building authenticity. Isn't that an oxymoron? Either it's authentic or it isn't, right? (laughs) Right. That's the central paradox here. Downtown Los
4: Angeles has become so expensive that developers have to bring artists in to add that flavor, that authenticity that made the neighborhood what it was.
0: But that's not the same. I mean, street artists getting hired to make a new building look cool is is one thing. I get that. At all of DTLA, they're putting the artist up for six months.
4: Yeah, they'll say it's not just the art that's the draw, but the experience of rubbing shoulders with an actual working artist. So when you leave your apartment to get coffee or go use the pool, you might pass the artist's spray painting away and stop to chat. I think that's a key part of it. And, I mean, I wondered, what is that like for the winning artist?
7: Um, All right, so, yeah, we're walking on to the second floor right now where my artist loft resides. Um,
4: Kelsey Fisher is the artist who won all of DTLA's competition. He shows me the apartment he's got for free for six months. It's one big room. You walk into the kitchen, which opens up into the living room, and there are stairs leading up to a bedroom loft. This apartment normally rents for $2,700 a month.
7: Um, so, yeah, this is what I've done with the place so far. Um, this Looks
4: is, pretty moved in.
7: Yeah, I had a, a lot of help from friends and family. Um,
4: that's actually. Residents can actually see into Kelsey's space from the courtyard. So, when he has his blinds open, he's in the most visible apartment in the building. So, he's right there for the other tenants to interact with.
7: Like, people will walk by when I'm having my coffee and I'll be like, hey, <laughs> what's up?
4: He shows me around the building. We take the elevator up to the roof. There's a lounge area with grills, a dog park, and a great view of the downtown skyline.
7: Here, so I've been coming up here like every single night to watch that and get some work done. It's great.
4: Kelsey was one of over 180 artists competing for this residency. What
0: kind of art is he making?
4: Well, his stuff is really colorful. He creates these pattern backgrounds, uh, sometimes using bits of broken mirror, often placed around a large black and white photo of an attractive female model. It's uh, youthful, energetic, accessible. It's easy to see why he was picked.
0: And what do you think about all of this? I mean, is this good for Kelsey, for the company, and for the other people who live at this place?
4: It's complicated. I mean, there are people in the art world who think this is great. There's a guy who worked on producing the competition at all of DTLA named Justin Fredericks, who tells me developers paying the artists for their work is a good thing. In the past, a lot of these huge murals, these beautiful murals that are almost landmarks in the city that go up, the artists were not compensated. Now with these new developments coming up, the developers are valuing the art and they're paying the artists for their work. So Artists are not not only getting more recognition through new developments because these buildings are their canvases for street artists, but now they're actually being compensated for it. For Kelsey, this residency is a good deal. Uh, He gets lots of exposure and he's using his stipend to fly in international artists he admires for collaborations to expand his connections. But Scott Power, who runs a branding and marketing agency in L.A. called Crew West Studio, says companies offering artists exposure is insulting.
0: There are no starving lawyers or starving doctors or starving developers.
5: Uh, why why are there starving artists? And so, you know, this is an opportunity we think for business and, and brands to step into that void and really... Um, began to work with artists in the same ways that they've worked with celebrities and athletes over the years.
4: Power says if the developer was serious about supporting artists, they would at least give the artist a year, not just six months. When I ask Kelsey about this argument, he shrugs. He's been that starving artist, a graduate of Loyola Marymount University, living in Venice Beach before it got expensive and eating cheap ramen to survive.
7: I went from going to LMU to living across the street two months late on an $800 rent, painting a closing sign for an auto body shop for like 300 bucks to be able to go buy a canvas to get another commission. Like, talk about value menu, ramen noodles diet, you know? Like, that wasn't cool, but like I did it. And I mean, you, you gotta struggle sometimes to get where you wanna be. And um, this is definitely, like I said, getting this artist in residence is one of those steps into the next level, away from the (laughs) painting auto body signs for 300 bucks.
4: Kelsey moved into all of DTLA in August. He's been going to parties and art openings, immersing himself in the downtown art scene. The way he sees it, neighborhoods rise and fall. And if you want to stay in a rising area, you gotta hustle.
7: I mean, you gotta build a name for yourself. It's like any profession, you gotta Work hard at it and build your brand and get there. If you don't, then you're not going to be able to stay in that area and live that profession.
4: So Saul, when I last met up with Kelsey, he pulled out his phone and turned the camera on selfie mode.
7: I up, over here. What's up, dude?
0: Before
4: I know it, he's posted a video of me interviewing him to
0: Instagram Stories. I love that. I mean, he's using us to build his brand.
4: Yeah, and, you know, that business-savvy attitude is paying off. Kelsey says he's getting calls from developers who want him to come paint their buildings, too. He already has a few jobs lined up in L.A. and Brooklyn.
0: So, Avishai, do you get the sense that this is really an unusual idea, this artist-in-residence competition?
4: Actually, no, this has been done before. I read about a musician-in-residence competition that a developer had for luxury apartment buildings in Chicago and in Nashville. They held a contest for the best acoustic guitarist and vocalist and actually had the residents of each building vote on their favorite performer.
0: Wait, so like American Idol?
4: Exactly. And then the winner lives there and performs at the building at least 8 to 10 hours a week. And unlike all of DTLA, the winners get to live in the building for a year, not just
0: six months. And, you know, I mean, artists have long served wealthy patrons and blurred the lines between what's art and what's commerce, right? I mean, that's an essential part of art history. Think of the Medici in Renaissance Florence bankrolling people like Michelangelo, or Spain's kings and their in-house royal artists like Velasquez, or a way more contemporary example, Andy Warhol, who appeared in a bunch of marketing campaigns and commercials. Talkative Andy Warhol and Gabby Sonny Liston always fly Braniff. They like our girls, they like our food, they like our style. When you got it, flaunt it.
4: You were asking earlier whether artists are the victims of gentrification or the perpetrators. Clearly a bit of both, but at least in this case, they are also sometimes the beneficiaries.
0: Listeners, we really want to hear your opinions about the role artists and creative types play in neighborhood change or anything else related to gentrification. Go to KCRW.com slash There Goes the Neighborhood. Last week, we explored the role of property flippers in raising housing costs. Here's what one listener told us.
2: Uh, my name is Gordon Skeen. I think it's immoral because it does mess up the market. I think it does mess up people's opportunities to buy houses. I think it does really, it really creates a situation where, you know, people just really can't put down roots. You know, let's just slap this together and let's turn a huge profit and then let's go off and do the next one. I I just, I just don't see, you know, what is good about that. I really don't. In doing all that, I think the city is falling apart as a result.
0: Next time on There Goes the Neighborhood L.A., whether it's a microbrewery, yoga studio, or coffee house, small businesses are often targets of gentrification criticism. But should they be?
6: What about the Starbucks?
4: What about the McDonald's? And what about the big chain places? What do you say when those places come into your community? I think supporting a mom-and-pop shop is better than supporting a Starbucks. And we're a small business. We're just trying to make it. We live in the area. We want to better it. And,
5: yeah, I think that's a missing point.
0: This episode was reported by Avashai Artsy. Our producer is Miguel Contreras. Celeste Wesson is our editor. Sonia Geis is our managing editor. Our recording engineers are Kat Yor, Ray Guarna, and JC Swadek. At WNYC Studios, our producer is Paige Cowett, our executive producer is Karen Frillman, and Casey Means is our technical director. Our composer is Hannes Brown, with additional music by Terrence Blanchard. I'm Saul Gonzalez. This series is supported by the Conrad and Hilton Foundation. Thanks for listening.